Hello, I'm Faith Rogers, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with the Moving Target. Thank you for joining us. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC, AAPA, and AMAPRA Category 1 credits. Please visit our website for complete CE information. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the Claim Credit button on the webinar console. Otherwise, please go to covid19.dkbmed.com, navigate to our multi-specialty episodes, and select the webinar to claim credit. Today's learning objective is to discuss new FDA authorization for second booster doses. This educational activity is supported by independent medical educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated, as well as in-kind support from DKB Med. With us today, we have Dr. Paul Awater, the Clinical Director of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Dr. Awater, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Faith. And I think for many of us, uh, as spring comes across many parts of the country, uh, we have found uh, the rates of COVID uh, lower, uh, hospitalizations and uh, unfortunate deaths much lower, all good news, and many uh, states have shed their mask mandates. But in recent week or two, there's been an uptick again, often in schools, universities, where there have been uh, increased number of cases that seem to be due to the BA2 uh, lineage subvariant of Omicron, which is e even more infectious than the earlier, uh, more widely circulating Omicron variant. And this seems to be the trajectory of this virus, uh, that it um, is enhancing its uh, transmission, in part because there is more pressure. Uh, people have gotten uh, the uh, infection or uh, vaccines. And uh, this uh, particular virus does seem milder, which is indeed good news, but especially for the unvaccinated or people with significant health problems can still pose grave illness. And indeed, uh, it's no surprise that the Omicron variant is now uh, worldwide, just about in every place that's been looked for. And again, I think this just speaks to its extraordinarily fast pace since first identification in November that is now present worldwide. And indeed, it's uh, really the predominant uh, 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 isolate found when sequencing is performed in many countries of the world. And here, as you can see in the CDC genomic surveillance data, uh, it is uh, maybe 85 to 88%, which is, again, a very rapid rise, very similar to how Omicron replaced the Delta variant. And we're just seeing this almost on two to three month intervals of these uh, new variants that uh, emerge and quickly establish themselves and become the predominant virus. So uh, after that decline that I spoke of, and I think uh, there is certainly a sigh of relief, not only in the medical profession, but by public health officials and elsewhere, uh, there is a slight rise if you look at the tail end of the top graph where uh, it had been flat and there's a subtle uptick 
in the past uh, week or so. Although uh, the number of uh, people hospitalized or dying, of course, continues its decline because that is a lagging indicator. But you can look to the left of tests and see that those uh, have not continued its decline, which even though there's home testing now does uh, state that there's still continued interest, perhaps not as strong as in January, of continuing to check oneself for some sort of viral type illness. One of the more uh, frequent questions I got asked by colleagues, also patients, are about boosters. As uh, many of you are aware, in late March, uh, the FDA approved booster number two. And this is for anyone over the age of 50 or if you're immune compromised, you can now get a fourth dose of vaccine. Uh, and the rationale uh, the FDA, I think, uh, based this on was data from the United Kingdom and Israel that showed that people that in the summer of 2021 got the first booster had waning immunity and therefore were more susceptible to Omicron infection. And this was blunted by the second booster. Uh, and so, interestingly, some of the early data, uh, again, from Israel suggests, though, that this protection against any SARS-CoV-2 infection starts to wane by week four. And this is even faster uh, than uh, the um, amount of or the timing of the waning, I should say, from the first booster. So it looks like each additional dose gives you a boost, but it doesn't last as long. But importantly, it does seem that people remain protected from severe disease, which again, I think, uh, starting with the Delta variant last summer, was really the message we were trying to convey to patients. And of course, the BA2 variant is one that I think the FDA is trying to stay a step ahead. And of course, other countries have taken the same path, including Israel and the United Kingdom. Now, uh, do boosters work? And uh, I showed you a little bit about the fourth dose. We have somewhat more robust data about uh, a third booster, of which only a minority of people in the United States have received. And this is some data assembled by the Centers for Disease Control that was presented to the Vaccine and Related Biologics Advisory Council to uh, the um, uh, uh, CDC FDA. Uh, and this uh, compared uh, the effectiveness of the vaccine, uh, both uh, those who only got two doses and those that got uh, three. And although a somewhat busy slide, I drop uh, draw your attention to the bottom row, where you can see that three doses clearly shifts to the right, uh, um, the effectiveness against preventing Ill critical illness and depth. And that in also includes uh, in all categories examined, including hospitalization, emergency room visits, and also infection. So this is just from the third dose. And probably the message I would say is if your patients have not gotten the, uh, a, the first booster, that would be a priority at this stage. Um, and the fourth booster may help a bit, uh, but uh, there is some sense of diminishing returns. So this advisory committee struggled with issues which I think looking ahead do pose challenges and remain 
uh, without clarity. And that is, well, uh, given the boosters, uh, you know, what's our frequency of these? Uh, will they be directed to only some, such as people over 50? And why 50 was chosen is unclear. In uh, Israel, it was uh, uh, people in their 60s. Uh, does everyone get one? Uh, some experts argue that none are needed because we're really saying that the uh, first booster protects very well against serious illness. Uh, of course, exploring whether the component, the composition of the vaccine should be changed uh, from its original Wuhan strain to the uh, so-called ancestral strain to something uh, that's currently circulating like Omicron. Uh, when do we pull the trigger and say it's not working? Uh, at what level of reduced uh, either vaccine efficacy or reduced ability to keep people out of the hospital. Uh, interestingly, Peter Marks at the FDA uh, said that if there's a vaccine change, it would be wholesale. It would have to be every uh, vaccine available would have to change and otherwise it would be too confusing. And also, I think any major change sounds as if they would demand some clinical trial evidence and you couldn't just substitute which is um, really what happens currently with influenza immunizations. But of course, that is much better in the sense of our understanding. Uh, lastly, uh, there are still remaining questions about immunity. Although there have been some human challenge studies for which we're beginning to understand uh, uh, the correlates of immunity, there has been great focus on the neutralizing antibodies, but uh, others have argued for a long while that T-cell responses are actually uh, a better uh, um, way of anticipating what's necessary to prevent from severe infection and death. And I think there'll be some additional uh, uh, looks at patient populations at vaccine or even natural immunity T-cell responses to better understand if this is better to keep uh, a better correlate for severe illness protection or death compared to neutralizing antibodies, which probably are the best for just preventing any infection uh, in that case. I did want to just spend one quick moment, uh, moment on an update from some data uh, which the CDC assembled about uh, cardiac involvement uh, from the vaccine. And there were concerns about this raised early on uh, with uh, a change also in the EUA and also advice that uh, perhaps vaccines could be spaced out further in uh, the groups that seem to especially suffer uh, 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 rare complications of uh, immunization, such as myocarditis, such that instead of getting vaccines at three to four week intervals, it might be stretched out to eight weeks in these uh, 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 risk groups. But I, I think the important consideration and and the top of the, the CDC slide is cut off here, uh, but uh, basically the uh, 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 young men and boys uh, both have a higher risk of cardiac involvement with COVID disease than they do with the vaccine. Uh, that's both teens and also men under 30. So I think the message here is that these groups still benefit from immunization uh, there. And of course, we're still waiting for the under five group uh, to uh, be uh, have their uh, 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 additional studies looked at and 
whether that group can be immunized as well. But generally, the sense is immunization. Uh, certainly, children don't uh, get as severe illness, but there is still benefit from immunizing this group. Well, the pandemic has produced um, a number of unfortunate health consequences and deaths. However, it's really some of the additional factors that we in at least healthcare uh, think less about uh, that is as important, I think, for um, anyone in healthcare to think about, but also for public health authorities and, and importantly for those that control the purse strings. And, and so what I'd like to do is just briefly go over uh, an important concept called excess deaths. Now, uh, uh, standard uh, uh, and official death counts have recorded somewhere between six and seven million uh, deaths due to COVID worldwide. Uh, this could have been far higher if um, there weren't the mitigation strategies in that first uh, uh, nine, 10 months of the pandemic in 2020. And then, of course, there was uh, as much of a shift to immunization efforts uh, through the 2021 year with rollouts. But uh, it does appear that if you look at countries' official death statistics, uh, uh, there appears to be excess mortality far above anticipated baselines uh, compared to pre-pandemic, such that uh, many have come around to think that the number of deaths actually is far higher. So you can see here perhaps uh, threefold higher, more than 20 million uh, deaths. And this uh, picture gives you a bit of a map uh, at least for data that's publicly available to get a sense for the countries uh, so uh, much affected, such as Peru, South Africa, and Russia. Uh, those that were certainly um, uh, affected, including Brazil, United States, uh, Spain, um, uh, and so on. And then um, those that were less so in the lighter yellow. And these collateral effects include a number of things of which I'm sure you're all aware of, supply chain issues that are affecting us to this day uh, in many areas, cars, fuel, shipping, and so on. Uh, uh, costs, which of course are not just pandemic related, but um, certainly that is a big component uh, has fueled uh, many countries in terms of debt rise. And uh, the International Monetary Fund has uh, judged that the total cost of the pandemic, uh, and this is just at uh, something uh, from 2022, was judged at uh, over $12.5 trillion. Uh, um, we see newspaper articles, which again, I, I'm not sure it's uh, the pandemic's the only cause, but certainly uh, the correlation appears strong. Uh, for example, road rage, gunfire deaths, uh, murder, for example, uh, violent crime, all rising during this time frame. Uh, pedestrian accidents, which are thought to be more distracted drivers, higher anxiety levels. Um, uh, and that has continued through 2022. I think uh, you've seen in a number of countries um, uh, relative unrest, uh, general unhappiness, often with rules being imposed, for example, uh, restrictions of freedoms and these sorts of things. And the thought is that uh, moving ahead, 
this kind of uh, turbulence and some of the real stressors and uh, inequalities will continue to fuel um, unrest. And so the IMF, again, for what it's worth, and uh, uh, is just a, a group that uh, has interest in this, uh, looks at pandemics. And here we are in year two or three, but their sense is you can easily look five years hence and see uh, that the social unrest tends to continue to rise for a period of time, and that the social unrest factors even add to the uh, economic uh, damages and stressors uh, that are, are beyond the pandemic. So this was all a bit of a uh, argument to say that this is not the time uh, to let up on pandemic preparedness. Um, I know after wars, there's always a military buildup beforehand and, and then it's uh, uh, decreased. But we never really started at a super strong point because if you look at the image on the left, the image on the left uh, has the United States at one of the highest scores on index security. And this was in March of 2020, just before the pandemic. But yet, I think we can all uh, say that uh, certainly we could have done a better job, had a better unified public health structure, responses, communication. And so I think there's work to do. And there's, of course, a lot of uh, potential aspects at really preparing a response so that we can anticipate uh, um, uh, what are often viruses, and uh, therefore stay at least closer uh, to intervening in a rapid way than we have in the past. So Faith, uh, just some food for thought and, and uh, I, I'd urge people to, to, to write their Congress people and, and just say that um, uh, very appreciative of uh, the congressional uh, monies that have gone into handling the pandemic, but this isn't the time to uh, pull that away at this uh, point in time, especially since I think the upcoming year still remains to be seen what will happen. And although they're encouraging signs, uh, there's still uh, unfortunately uh, surprises that this virus has continued to offer us. Thank you so much. The first question here is, what is the status of other COVID-19 vaccines that were in development? So Novavax, for example. Well, uh, Faith, a, a good question. Um, certainly the mRNA vaccines have uh, been uh, the leader, I think, uh, compared to other strategies, including adenovirus-based, also um, inactivated vaccines. So I think many of those, while there continues uh, to be effort at developing other vaccines, they were first uh, they were first out of the box, as it were, and and I think their impact makes it hard to knock them off. However, people do have side effects. I think it's always good to have alternatives, and the Novavax vaccine is a different um, kind of vaccine, one that has a approach which it uses protein subunits. Uh, and uh, of course, people uh, might be able to uh, uh, manage uh, taking that vaccine if they uh, cannot get uh, one of the mRNA vaccines. Uh, this vaccine uh, was, um, uh, uh, was uh, presented in application. The company did uh, for uh, an EUA to the FDA at the end of January. 
of this year. Uh, its status is still pending. Uh, however, some companies have gone ahead and distributed it. So it is in use, for example, in Australia. So I think the data is encouraging enough that uh, we'll probably see the FDA take action. But I also think there is a hesitancy not to try to complicate pictures, because if you're trying to keep abreast of all the vaccine changes, it is a challenge uh, to know how certain groups, uh, boosters, uh, some of the booster recommendations have been changing and so on. So I think uh, there may be uh, some effort to give people a, a time to get used to the current recommendations before introducing uh, a uh, uh, an additional vaccine. But that's just a guess on my part. Dr. Alwater, thank you so much for those updates. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the Claim Credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit us at covid19.dkbmed.com. Again, thank you for joining us and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19.